KRCL, Salt Lake City. KRCL is hiring a production assistant to join our staff part-time and support the radioactive program. Details are on our website, krcl.org. KRCL is an equal opportunity employer. Support for Radioactive on KRCL comes from our sustaining members and Mark Miller Subaru. Welcome to Radioactive, a show for grassroots activists, community builders, punk rock farmers, and DIY creatives. I'm Laura Jones. Thanks for plugging into your community tonight with us. Every weeknight, 6 to 7, it's Radioactive. Coming up on the show, we are going to talk about grief, which is especially compounded for many folks this time of year, during the holidays when we're supposed to be festive and experiencing joy. Sometimes it's hard when we've had losses or setbacks. And so we're going to talk about that with two guests this evening, poet Amy Schaefer, who has written about her relationship with late Jeff Metcalf and through that has also formed a relationship with his daughter, Bailey Kreitzer. We're going to talk with them about grief and the holidays, and we've got a playlist to go along with it. Spoke with the League of Women Voters of Utah earlier today about Moore v. Harper. It's that Supreme Court case that could affect how elections are conducted in our country. Plus, they've also got an invitation for you to join their legislative action team. And then we are going to start with the ACLU of Utah, which wants you for its 2023 community legislative action team. We're going to find out about their priorities from LGBTQ plus rights in Utah, K through 12 book banning, felony reporting requirements, abortion penalty amendments, and Indian child welfare amendments and more. Stick around. Lots of opportunity to get engaged, to learn, to help, and we hope you'll take us up on it. First, though, some rallies and resources. Holiday Drive still going strong. The Utah Tribal Relief Foundation Holiday Drive is still going. Today is the day to have your donations for the Uprock and Art Space Bridge Project Christmas Drive. Thank you to folks who brought stuff down to Utah. I mean, excuse me, to KRCL, which is in Utah. You can also drop them off at the Art Space Bridge Project, 511 West, 200 South tonight, or Uprock, 1594 South State. They've got an appointment tomorrow to take it all over to the road home. So thank you for folks who participated. Also still ongoing, the Eccles Winter Clothing Drive, benefiting Volunteers of America. And Candy Cane Lane with the YWCA. Just a few that are going on. You can find more through social media and uh, a Google search. You're happy. Uh, if you find something that we don't have yet, please, I'm happy to have that. Send it on over, radioactive at krcl.org. Tonight at 8.30, the doors will open at First United Methodist Church on 2nd and 2nd in downtown Salt Lake City. It's once again, they're in from the cold overnight movie marathon, folks. Do check that out. And then Friday, tomorrow, 10 a.m., Crossroads Urban Center's annual Christmas food giveaway starts while supplies last at Roland Hall, 843 South Lincoln Street in Salt Lake City. And you drive up or walk up, they've got a frozen turkey and a couple of sides for you to take home and prepare for your Christmas dinner. Limit one food basket per vehicle and more details at crossroadsurbancenter.org. Let's get to our special guests for rallies and resources. Joining us in the studio, we have Laila Mahmoud, a legislative and policy counsel for the ACLU of Utah. Hi. Hi. And with you, we have Aaron Welcher, director of communications. Welcome. 
Hi. First of all, welcome to the station for both of you. And I believe that you are recently moved to Utah, Aaron. That's true, from Indianapolis, which actually Lila moved here um, a year or two prior from. Oh, wow. Did you That's know each right. other there? Is there we, a connection? We didn't, even though we were definitely part of the same circles. Yeah. But then we both ended up moving here to work for the ACLU of Utah, well, which is wonderful. kind of funny. Glad to have you. So let's talk about what it means to be a legislative and policy council first, Lila. Sure. I mean, that means that I handle all things that happen during the legislative session regarding bills, bill tracking, um, how, you know, conversations with legislators, trying to make sure that bad bills don't get a lot of traction and good bills get the good traction that we do want. Mm -hmm. And then outside of legislative session, that means that I'm working during interim to see what we can expect during the legislative session. And we will be putting links to bill trackers such as the ACLU of Utah uh, conducts so that folks, you can track legislation, you can look through different affiliations for issues or bills that may mean something to you personally and then get involved so once that's up and going we'll make sure to shout that out and please open mic during the legislative session because tracking what's going on at the people's houses is very important yes so uh aaron one of the things that is new and you're helping get the word out about is directive communications is the uh the new utah-based activist community the legislative action team tell me what's going on yeah, this is a really cool opportunity for us to uh, create a grassroots um, movement through social action and building community. So in the past, we've always done where we send out our take actions or really try to get out the word to get people involved. Alerts. Yeah, exactly. But this year, we're really trying to take it a step further and, and build community um, it's something that we've, we've found in the last couple of years that's really vital for uh, an organization like ours with, uh, that is defending and fighting for civil rights and liberties is to actually be yeah. for and with the people. I find that there is different level of engagement and, you know, if you haven't been in your civil rights classes recently, you may have forgotten what it's all about. Can you define civil liberties for us, Lila? Sure. Yeah. So these are the rights um, that are either given to us by the government or rights that we have against the government, which is such an interesting way of thinking about it. But you can think of like a civil liberty that you have against the government as something that is an innate right that you have that they cannot infringe upon. And that's kind of the core of a lot of the work that we do regarding civil rights and liberties. One of the things I've seen people perhaps misunderstanding is the First Amendment when it comes to Twitter, which isn't the government. That's you got right. any thoughts on that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, so the First Amendment is a, the freedom of speech that we have in the First Amendment is a right that we have against the government infringing on us. Twitter is a private organization, so the rights don't exist in the same way, even though it's so trendy to be talking about First Amendment when it comes to Twitter. Well, and I, I just find it interesting. It is such a huge public space in many people's minds that they equate it with being something that should be governed by the Bill of Rights. But they're, right. they're not the government. It's right. Yeah. Even though, right, I don't think Elon Musk understood when he took over Twitter that <laughs> essentially he's running like his own, you know, country that's bigger than any other country. Oh, so. I think he fully understands <laughs> right. whether we like how he runs it or not. That's right. Or yeah. the previous runners of Twitter, if we liked how they ran it or not. It's that's open for debate. Yeah. So let's talk about some legislative priorities for 2023. 
the next general session of the Utah legislature coming up. I think it starts on what uh, Tuesday the seventeenth. The seventeenth, yeah. After Martin Luther King Jr. Day is observed on the sixteenth. So one of the first rights that you want to follow through the legislative session, I understand, is LGBTQ plus rights, and we. You know, folks who have followed this show will know we talk a lot about rights for folks in our community who are transgender, especially student athletes. What's going on? What, what's on your radar? Yeah. So last year, as we talked about here on the show, actually, we talked about the trans sports ban that happened last year. And I think that this is a consistent theme we're seeing here in Utah and nationally about attacking, attacking trans youth. Um, and that's not stopping this legislative session. We have a couple of bills that we're looking at that are specifically targeting trans youth. One is a bill that's um, looking to ban affirming surgery for trans minors. And that's kind of a really broad um, ban. It's going to include what they're calling primary and secondary sex characteristics. We can think about it as like top and bottom surgery and any other kind of surgery that um, a minor might seek to have in order to affirm their gender as they're transitioning and and before that, they go through puberty right which is why when we're talking about hormone therapy that becomes even more important because you know when we're talking about banning surgery that's kind of like the second that's a later step that generally trans youth are taking the initial step would be engaging in some kind of hormone therapy once they're ready to begin that kind of transition and so we're hearing about bills dealing with this again to yeah. prevent that, to, pre to get in the middle of a family and a doctor's medical care. That's right. Yeah. All right. What about pronouns, mandatory reporting to parents, requiring reporting of student gender identity, in effect, forced outing is something on the radar. Yeah, which is also really scary. Pronouns, kind of attacking the use of pronoun people choosing what pronouns they want to use in school has also been kind of... a trendy, if I dare say it, thing um, that's been happening nationally. But we are seeing some bills, this one bill in particular, particular that would require parental notice of a student who would be transitioning at school, which can be really scary. And I'm trying, I'm, I'm thinking about my era in the 80s. Okay, folks, let's get in the way back machine, which, you know, androgyny was a huge conversation. And that had to do with the LGBTQ community and um, it was that's what it was called then. I'm I am paraphrasing and abridging massively, folks. So um, I remember changing my clothes after I left the house. Uh, would I do that if I knew that I'd be reported for right. what the perception of my identity was once I hit school? Yeah, I don't know. yeah. I mean, and this is scary too because we think of students who are in a situation where they feel comfortable transitioning at school, but not at home. Mm -hmm. And what does that mean when we're requiring parental notice for students who are saying, hey, you know, my parents use these pronouns at home, but when I'm at school, I feel safe enough to say, hey, call me this instead. And what, are, you know, what does a bill like this mean for those kinds of students? And the, if I might know, add ahead, real quick, um, you know, if students don't lose their right to privacy too. So it's important for us to remember that when you're talking about forced outings, that this really is infringing on that right of privacy for right. students. But under the law, what right to privacy do minors have when their parents are still responsible for them? And that is a really kind of interesting area of the law. Students at schools do have some level of privacy, of a right to privacy. It's just not the same that an adult would have outside of school. 
And then a school could end up in the middle of it if there's a tussle between exactly. parents and students. And where does that put teachers and other you know, school employees? What kind of position does that put them in? Mm-hmm. So that's uh, part of what you've done. You've also made a hire on this issue, right? That's right. Yeah, we've been very lucky to hire a um, an organizer who works specifically in the working on trans issues and who is an impacted individual himself. His name is Nick, and we're very lucky to be having him on working in this space during this time. And he's only been around for a month, and he already had um, a training earlier this week. Yeah. So lots coming on this issue. All right, I want to talk about book banning. We've been doing <laughs> a lot on that this year, and we're seeing... Um, especially with social media, it's easy to organize lists of books that should be banned and uh, inundate school libraries across the state with um, concerns uh, or requests to pull certain books. What's happening? Yeah, so kind of where this has all been starting. Well, so last legislative session, we had a bill pass um, HB 374, sensitive materials, that was supposed to be focusing on pornographic materials in schools. As we know, generally under Utah law, you can't have pornographic materials in schools anyways. So we were kind of like, what is Where's this? the problem? Yeah, what is this going to end up looking like? What it has turned into are generally books that focus characters that are queer, characters of color, you know, LGBTQ authors, authors of color. Those are the books that are being targeted and those are the books being removed. And where this is starting generally has been at school board meetings, where a few parents are speaking out very strongly against particular books that they don't like at school board meetings. And that's kind of been launching this whole process. And we're seeing it all over the place, right? There's different websites that are Utah specific that are like listing books that parents should request be removed from their libraries or their rating books, you know, based on what the contents of the books are. And yeah, I mean, the reason we're involved is because, you know, every student should be able to read books that reflect their experiences, but also it's squarely a First Amendment issue. So, well, and if you don't want your kids to read those books, then be paying attention to what your kids are reading and have that discussion. But there's also this line about what does parental rights mean in the context of a school board and curriculum and uh, what books are in the school library. You guys are watching that too. Yeah, so parental rights is kind of a sticky area. And I think for us, what we are continuing to emphasize is that parents do have rights, but they are not absolute. You have the ability to kind of control what your child reads, but not to take a book away from all other children who might need to read those books to validate their own experiences. And this is where we approach issues of erasure. Like if we're removing these books and they are generally about certain individuals with particular backgrounds and experiences, then we are removing their ability to be reflect, to see themselves at all. We're talking about the next legislative session and priorities for the ACLU, the American Civil Liberties Union of Utah. With my guests, we have Lila Mahmoud, Legislative and Policy Counsel with the organization and Director of Comms, Aaron Welcher. Aaron, tell us about abortion penalty amendments. We had Representative Romero, Angela Romero, on last night. This is uh, something that the representative will be sponsoring. And this is still an unknown how it's going to shake out here since the overturning of repealing of Roe v. Wade. Yeah, there, I mean, it is first and foremost still pretty scary out there. Um, But what we want to make clear is that families have the right to choose when and how they have kids or if they want to have kids. Mm -hmm. That shouldn't be something that 
um, the legislative forces on anyone. And we believe that um, that families uh, should be able to um, keep it between them and their doctors. Yeah. So, Lila, what are you watching on this issue? Because I know there's some bills we have yet to hear about that will drop. Yeah, so I think there's a lot happening in this space. So, f I mean, first, right, we know Roe v. Wade was repealed. And then here in Utah, we had a trigger ban on the books that has been litigated and it's stopped up by the courts with an injunction. So here in Utah, we do have access to abortion up to 18 weeks, which is the interplay of some past um, laws that were passed in the last couple of years. So I think what we're looking at primarily is a bill that's going to change some of the exceptions um, on the current trigger law that has been enjoined by the courts right now here in Utah. It includes a couple of exceptions that are not very clear. Um, they involve like maternal health, health of the fetus, and they were written in a way where doctors don't feel like they have a lot of guidance. Yeah. So I think that's one of the ways it's going to be cleaned up. There's also some, some, some things that are looking a little bit scary. There is one exception to the trigger ban that allows for an abortion in the instance of rape or incest, but the individual has to report the incidents and we're seeing a bill that's um being brought this year where it would require um that individual to report that to a police officer so the case number we've been hearing this uh it's not uh, it's been tried before it's happening in other states the other thing i'm concerned about is um the the push to get rid of you know the morning after pill or restrict yeah restrict um, otherwise reproduction mm -hmm. uh, pills and such. Are you guys, are you watching for that? We are watching for it. I don't think we've heard anything so far, but it's not like too far off to think that something like that might happen. Because when we're walking back rights that we've had for 50 or more years, who's to say kind of what else will happen? Well, yep. and if, if, if you might be charged with aiding and abetting an abortion by... Uh, receiving, ordering, or providing, you know, plan B in our community, should that come, that, that's, that's a lot of fear. That's scary, yeah. yeah. And right now, the way that the bill is written is that it creates a felony for physicians who provide abortions, which is really scary. It's very broad. Aaron. Yeah, and this really disproportionately affects black, indigenous, and other people of color um, who are already um, at a higher likelihood to not be believed when they go into um, medical settings. So there is a great um, sort of concern about how that really affects um, people's right to um, seek medical care. Yeah. Felony reporting requirements. What's this about? One of your legislative priorities, Aaron. I understand this is one that involves, uh, is it Representative Ber Kara Birkeland? I believe she's a representative, right? Yes, yes, yes. Um, so this is really looking at, um, to my understanding, and Lila, correct me if I'm, I'm wrong, um, to increase the sort of um, felony um, requirements on the trigger ban, so basically giving it more teeth. So it's part and parcel of the abortion penalty amendments, it sounds like. That'll be interesting to watch uh, Utah House Minority Leader Angela M Romero dealing with that uh, and against uh, Berkland trying to increase the penalty. So that's that's the popcorn watching aspect of our legislative session, unfortunately. Let's talk about the Indian Child Welfare Amendments that you're following, Lila. 
Sure. So as some folks might know, um, there's a Supreme Court case happening about the federal ICWA, Indian Child Welfare Amendments, that is looking to take away that piece of protection that we've had for Indigenous families for quite some time. Meaning placing Indigenous children with Indigenous families in particular. That's right, yeah. So what ICWA does is it ensures that Indigenous children will not be placed outside of the Indigenous community. And that exists because there's a history of Indigenous children being removed from their families and put in boarding schools in order to erase their culture and in order to erase their attachment to their community. And what's happening at the Supreme Court, I think, has moved um, the the state of Utah into action to say, hey, in case something happens at the Supreme Court level, we want to make sure that Indigenous children in our state can be protected by codifying our own state version of this. So these are some priorities for the ACLU of Utah. And when it comes to the community legislative action team, what is it you're looking from the public in joining that team to help either um, keep an eye on these issues or advocate the ACLU's position, Erin? Yeah, so a lot of this, um, and especially with the community uh, legislative action team, it's to get um, the word out there, but in a way that we are actually creating actionable items, thus in the name action, um, for people who want and feel the need um, to get involved. And so we really are looking at this and sort of you think about a classic phone tree, call your neighbor, call call your friends. That's very much how we're looking at this. And it's a very we're 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 really trying to build it so it's also low um, entrance. You don't have to be an expert in policy. You don't have to know everything about how the legislator operates. But if you're passionate about an issue and want to bring five of your family members or friends, then we want mm-hmm. to be able to offer you a space where you can advocate. Well, and Lila, you're in your role as legislative and policy counsel, you're up there in the halls of power, you're talking to lawmakers, you're making sure that the civil liberties aspect is being lobbied. That's right. And there's all sorts of other lobbyists. So, you know, we're talking about citizen lobbyists. Yeah, that's right. And constituents have so much power. I know it's really easy to feel like our legislators aren't listening to us. Mm -hmm. But if we are able to engage with our legislators and say, hey, what you're doing, I support or what you're doing, like this isn't right for our community. They're, and here's why. And here's why they're required to listen to you. Yeah. So what's the website where folks can learn more? Erin. Yeah. Um, our main website is www. Or three, www there's three of three them. Three W's, sorry. <laughs> uh, you're fine. You're fine. ACLUUtah.org. And then particularly to stay up to date on legislation, policy, and advocacy, ACLUUtah.org slash advocacy. Great. We'll put all those links in the show notes tonight, folks. You can go check it out. Check out the priorities. Sign up for the newsletter at the very least, but then maybe take the leap. This is the year you're going to get involved on some issues that matter to you, and it might be with the ACLU of Utah. It also might be with the League of Women Voters of Utah. We had Catherine Weller, the redistricting liaison for the League, and Lisa Stamps, their director of Legislative Affairs Committee, on a Zoom session this morning to talk about their trip back to D.C., but also how you can get involved with their citizen lobby teams. First, let's find out more from Catherine to start about that trip to D.C. on and, and standing out front of the Supreme Court on the Moore v. Harper case. The League of Women Voters of Utah thought it was important to be there because Moore v. Harper is one of those cases that will have consequence 
for decades to come, possibly. This is an argument. Of, uh, this is a case about a fringe legal theory called the independent state legislature theory, which essentially um, says that in certain issues, mostly around things like redistricting and elections, the state legislature really doesn't have to answer to anybody else. There are uh, the usual checks and balances that we would be seeing, like review by possibly by the governor, but most certainly by the courts, could be disallowed because of this case. This was brought up um, by in North Carolina because the North Carolina legislature wanted to be able to draw its own maps without having the courts intervene in them because the courts have intervened in their maps and overturned them time and time again. This, this theory gets trotted out periodically and it's not good government. And the League of Women Voters is all about good government. This is government without checks and balances. So that's why it was important for the League to show up. And I've got to say, we weren't in the courtroom listening to oral arguments. Um, that would have been fascinating. We were out on a line at a demonstration in front of the courts, letting people know, um, letting the world know what, uh, what we think is so dangerous about this case. Yeah, we had big posters that said people over politics. We all wore matching league hats. We were all out there. It was drizzling. It was rainy and cold. But we were all out there as a group. And it was so great to feel that energy of people who cared about the same issues and wanted to participate in democracy. One of my favorite parts of the whole thing was when... Uh, the League of the U.S. was doing some chanting. And the chant that most affected me was, this is what democracy looks like. It's, that's a favorite one of mine at any, rally, in, at any rally. Catherine, what was your sign? What did it say? My sign was people over politics, and I had a little state of Utah tough flag, as did Lisa and our other board member, everybody who was there from a state outside of D.C., which, of course, can't get statehood, um, had state flags. And there were league attendees from all over the country there, including a number of people from North Carolina and from our uh, sister league in Arizona. Now, I do want to acknowledge that the League is a party to uh, a lawsuit with the Utah legislature about redistricting and the people's uh, ballot proposition from a couple of years back. So I know you can't comment on what Morvi Harper would, would do to this, but I do want to acknowledge that A, you're a litigant, and B, the defense from the legislature has been, let's wait for more V. Harper. So when do you expect a ruling on more V. Harper, given the way the Supreme Court grinds exceedingly slow and fine, Catherine? Yeah. Well, I will say that the legislature did apply for a stay to wait for more V. Harper to be decided, and the court rejected that. So we are now in a, a series of appeals that go directly to the state Supreme Court before we wrap down to trial. Um, we expect 
fully expect because this is an issue of such grave consequence that there will be a lot of discussion around it amongst the justices and their clerks. So this is one of those issues where we will not have a decision until the last week the Supreme Court is meeting. Um, so stay tuned for the last week in June, possibly the first couple weeks in July. That's how long we'll wait on this, I'm sure. Catherine Weller, past president and currently redistricting liaison with the League of Women Voters of Utah. And Lisa Stamps is co-director of the Legislative Affairs Committee. Uh, the next session is just around the corner. So how can folks get involved with the League and participate in keeping an eye on the people's house and the people's business, Lisa? Well, they can work with the Legislative Affairs Committee. We are a group that gets together once a week. We meet on Thursdays at 1130, actually in room 210 of the Capitol. We observe committees. We report back to one another about committee actions, bills that are important. And then we generate action alerts that take our members actually to their legislators. We help them know what to say. We help to know them to help them to know what's important. We encourage people to actually visit committees in person and wear their League of Women Voters badge. We encourage them to get to know their legislators, their own legislators personally, so that they can have um, a relationship like I do with mine, where we text back and forth with one another. I used to email him regularly, but he got to the point where he said, just text me. And it's been wonderful to have that kind of a one-on-one -on -one relationship where he knows I'm a legitimate person with legitimate interests who's going to follow through on priorities and get things done. And Catherine, that's hugely important. I know a lot around elections, we we get excited about the candidates or not, and maybe that propels us as well. But then we forget about it until the next election. But where the work is done is in session. It's in executive committees. It's in interim session throughout the rest of the year. So what is your advice to folks about forming that relationship and letting their lawmakers have a piece of their mind? Democracy is not a spectator sport. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Um, like Lisa said, it is about developing a relationship with your legislators in particular. They mostly listen to their constituents, so it's important to reach out to your legislators. Um, you can listen to hearings online. As Lisa said, the League will help you understand how to access hearings, either in person or online. And then we can walk you through the website or you can go to le.utah.gov and find your legislators information right there so that you can send them an email, send them a text, send them a letter, let them know how you feel about an issue. And it's helpful to talk to them as though you are talking to a person. Um, it can be hard to remember that sometimes when you're all wrapped up in an issue and you're thinking you're talking to a figurehead. Tell them your story. Tell them why it's important to you. Tell them why it matters to you. And do so in a respectful way so that you know they'll hear you. You come out guns blazing and nobody likes that to start with. So it's they won't hear you at that point. Um, those are the biggies. We also encourage our members to attend committee meetings in person and to testify as individuals regarding their issues. 
We think it's important to put faces with names. We think it's important to have people participating in a real way because what we've noticed is the legislators will pay attention far more when they can see a face. They have a hard time looking at someone in the eye and saying, no, we're not going to do what you want us to do, or no, we don't care about your issues. We find that we have people nodding, making eye contact, getting excited, talking about what's important to us when we're actually there. Don't just be a spectator, folks. Hey, Catherine, what's the website where people can learn more about the league and get engaged? LWVUtah.org. Catherine Weller and Lisa Stamps of the League of Women Voters of Utah. Do check tonight's show notes to get engaged. And maybe 2023 is your year to follow an issue through the general session of the Utah legislature. le.utah.gov is a great resource, folks, where you can watch things as they go down, check on them afterward, listen, see agendas. I'll put that in our show notes as well. When we come back, we're going to be talking about grief during the holidays. And to get us from here to there, I've got a song from one of our guests. And I'm going to have her come on right now and join me to tell us why this song is important to her as we talk about grief. Amy Schaefer, how are you? Good. How are you? You're here as a poet, but you've been on the show before through your work with Salt Lake Community College and the class we did. Yep. And earlier this year. Yeah, it was just earlier this year. I know. It's crazy. So this song, it's one I just found out about, actually. So my dad... Um, lives in Georgia. He just um, lost his wife of 30 years. And apparently this song um, by John Pine, Pines, I Prine. believe. Prine. And Iris uh, Dement. Yes. It's a good one. Like, apparently that was their song. So I asked my little brother. I said, okay, I don't know if you guys can listen, but what song did your parents have? And that's the one he sent me. All right, here we go. In spite of ourselves on KRCL. It's Radioactive. The Uprock and Artspace Bridge Project Christmas Drive is collecting donations for the Road Home Family Shelter through December 22nd. Items needed include towels, hygiene items, baby wipes, bottles, adult underwear, detergent, twin-sized sheets, can openers, and kitchen and bathroom basics. Drop-off locations include Artspace Bridge Project, Uprock, and KRCL. Support for Radioactive on KRCL comes from Mark Miller Subaru and the Subaru Share the Love event, a partnership with local charities in delivering hope this holiday season. Learn more and info on how to get involved at markmillersubaru.com. Welcome back to Radioactive on KRCL. I'm Laura Jones. Coming up at 7, it's Democracy Now!, followed by Thursday Night Psych Out with DJ Mike at 8. Gianni walking the Dirty Boulevard with you at 10.30 p.m., I don't sound like nobody with Rich at one. Jolene's Illustrated Blues at three. And then John Florence gets your Friday started. A brand new day at 6 a.m. You can listen to any show for the last two weeks on demand at krcl.org. All right. We're going to talk about grief, especially during the holidays. It's tough for folks. And we wanted to get into it through a very specific story. So to fulfill a promise to her late friend, Jeff Metcalf, Amy Schaefer put together a collection of poetry that's out now. It's called From the Dust of Stars. And through that process, she started talking about grief with others, including students, and realized that grief is universal and it can create connections. Amy is now close with Jeff's daughter, Bailey Kreitzer. Both of them are with us tonight here on Radioactive. Amy and Bailey, hello. Welcome. Hello. Hey. 
So I would want to. I want to know first about Jeff Metcalf, your dad. Jeff Metcalf, Amy, your friend. Uh, Bailey, why don't you start? Well, uh, I don't even know how to describe him. Just beyond larger than life, he was somebody who was magnetic. Um, he pulled people in. He brought people together. Even after his passing, he's still bringing people together. Um, people, <laughs> my brother and I always joke, if you took the movie Big Fish and mixed it with Dead Poet Society, there you go. That would be that a really good description of my dad. Perfect. <laughs> he inspired, he brought people together, he helped people step out of their comfort zones, and yeah. He had some tall tales. He did. Yeah. And yeah. how did you meet Jeff Metcalf, Amy? So Jeff was actually my high school English teacher and then became um, my high school literary magazine and journalism teacher. And um, he would do these writers' conferences. So every summer we'd wander up to Idaho with, you know, a ragtag team of kids. And then it ended up being a ragtag team of like, oh, we're adults now. And <laughs> we just kind of kept doing it. And um, we've, we've just shared a lot. We've... Mm both got sick around the same time he didn't let me know he was sick um he tried to talk me through being sick um we've just just always been there so family and friends a big hole in their hearts when jeff passed and at the age of 70 back in 2020 the start of the pandemic yes that made things complicated yeah it was um you know on the topic of grief there was a lot of grief but very little space for people to come together and it's what we normally do right 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 as human beings you know he was the kind of person that always wanted a celebration not a mourning he lived every single moment of his life to the fullest and that's kind of what he wanted everyone to do afterwards is have a party tell some tales have some you know drinks and some cheers and make some more stories but um with covid we couldn't do that yeah so there's this this is, this will age me but you know that game like the six degrees of kevin bacon uh-huh <laughs> i always say but there's only one and a half degrees to uh, to jeff metcalf because so you either true. know him or you sneeze and that person that you just sneezed on that's like yeah. everybody knew him and um that's true so not only was there not enough space for just like a regular gathering i mean you'd be talking about a huge population of the valley and yeah. more so one of the things that you did to honor your friend's memory was to complete this promise. What was the promise and what was the result? So pretty much ever since I was in high school, I would send him, if I had a new poem, I'd send it to him. And he used to always say, Aim, when are you going to put these together? When are you going to put these together? And I was just like, yeah, yeah. I never planned on putting them together. It's, I don't call myself a poet I don't feel like a poet um but I was like yeah I'll do it I'll do it and then I was like I can't do it anymore yeah and then I had I had lost the opportunity um because you wanted to complete it in no small part for for his um to to look at it and say good job I did well so many books like of his mm-hmm. with his signature and he draws this funny little <laughs> face and everything. And I was like, I'm going to do that for him, you know, but, um, I didn't get that chance. Mm-hmm. So 
um, this contest came up, and so I decided, all right, here's my chance. Here's your chance. And that was uh, a chapbook contest at Salt Lake Community College, correct? Correct. And it won first place, and it's called? It's called um, From the Dust of Stars. Will you share something in it? Yeah. Um, the first poem I'll read is actually called From the Dust of Stars. And um, I wrote this actually when I was in Montana with Jeff. Everybody that was there was writing novels, and I was like, I can't compete with that. So he would give me a prompt. And his prompt was, I was thinking. So and I was missing my husband. <laughs> so this is mostly about my husband and kind of thinking about life. It's called Stars. I was thinking about stars and constellations, which took my mind to the Perseids, which brought me to you. It is said we are made from the dust of stars. What a romantic thought. But when it is our time for our star to burn out, how do we find our way home? <laughs> Got to give you your snaps. Mm -hmm. That is poet <laughs> Amy Schaefer, who's in studio tonight with now her friend, Bailey Kreitzer, daughter of Jeff Metcalf. Kind of a, a North Star for us tonight, if you will, as we talk about, about grief. And one of the things I noticed the two of you talking about and encouraging each other before we started this conversation, something you said specifically, Bailey, please tell your stories about my dad. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I mean, obviously, um, my dad and I were very close, but I think there's a line between being father and daughter and somebody's friend. And even though I would have considered my dad one of my best friends, he was a parent first. And I always respected that about him. But I love hearing stories about him through his friends yeah. or students or, you know, people that met him, just watching them retell stories with the light in their eyes, it's, it's pretty it's an exceptional experience. Did that help you process the grief, the loss of your father? Yes, absolutely. I can't speak for my brother or my mom, but for me, rehearing those stories, and you know, we actually set up an email for people to set, send stories in, um, just to have them. I mean, he really lived an extraordinary life and traveled, you know, when he was 14, he ran away and joined a carnival. <laughs> you know, th those kind of things that people talk about but they don't do um so hearing hearing that kind of stuff is always yeah. it just makes me smile it just really gets to the root of my dad and that makes me feel closer to him well, one of the things that we wanted to to bring out of this conversation is that people deal with grief in different ways mm -hmm. and I'm guessing you experience that in your own family with your mm -hmm. the close circle around your family and, and friends like like Amy Absolutely. and the holidays can bring it all open again it can open that that wound of a loss like that mm -hmm. or it can bring people together we're, we're sitting here in a studio and Christmas is around the corner and we're laughing and you know yeah. my dad had a lot of funny Christmas stories as well oh you got a good one <laughs> he even wrote one like his Christmas lot story yeah I have an extra copy I'll bring it to Laura yeah <laughs> he's do. got so many stories but I I also think it's like what I what I really wanted to come out of this conversation is that because grief is so universal, you don't have to be alone with it. Um, mm. You can, of course, but like I was talking um, before the show, 
I started talking to some high or sorry, some college students about grief and they almost just like latched onto it because they were like, Oh, well, I have this story. Oh, I have this story. This happened to my mom. And it was like, people want to talk about it, but I feel like we maybe as a society don't create space for that. Um, and maybe we, we maybe need to redefine that a little bit. Yeah. Well, and processing grief is unique to everyone that goes mm-hmm. through it, but there are some some common threads. And uh, one of the things that I think can be a real bridge or a balm is music. And you created a playlist for your dad as he was dying, and I've got it mm-hmm. embedded in the show post. But he loved the Bach cello suites. I understand. Yeah, we shared that love for sure. And this is the suite for cello solo number five in C minor. What did you use these for? Well, we, so he suffered from cancer for a number of years, but that's not what took him in the end. It was, again, like you mentioned, right at the height of COVID, and he had had an infection, and we took him to the hospital. We were one of the lucky few that the nurses snuck in, but I will never forget looking out the windows and seeing families in the hill behind the huntsman, just hoping to get a glimpse of where they're loved one was in a window um it was really it really separated people in a moment which was already very hard so I was there with my dad and I sent my mom home to sleep um and we found out he was gonna pass he wasn't gonna make it and it was too quiet you know we couldn't talk he had lost the use of his voice and so I put together this music because there needed to be a way to say some stuff that just couldn't be said in classical music. We always shared that. Um, And so I just put this on loop and it just felt, it kind of transcended the need for words. And, you know, his, his heart instantly sort of picked up and I knew it was like, this is, we can't just be in silence, but I don't have words. So that's where this came from. Suite for cello, solo number five in C minor, the Bach cello suites. 
part of our music list tonight for our conversation about grief with Bailey Kreitzer and Amy Schaefer. And this is part of a playlist you put together as your father was dying, but it's starting to spark other memories. And when you can find those moments that bring back happy memories, they should be celebrated. So tell us what this is bringing up for you. Um, so we were, as we were just discussing, I lived in Italy when I was um, right out of high school and my family came over to visit me. And we had this, you know, beautiful adventure over Christmas time. So there's another tie to it. And we were um, in Venice and we saw this little church and my dad and I both loved Vivaldi. And we decided to go in. And we walk in and it's just candles everywhere, just out of a movie almost. And we're so absorbed in the music. And we look over who's sitting next to us and it's Sting and my mom Sting and then we were on the other side and she kept trying to get my dad's attention without being obvious right (laughs) and she kept mouthing it Sting and he was like what stinks what stinks you know trying to be really subtle about it you know and then she's like "Mm, don't like let's be cool about this but it was just one of those beautiful moments and you know after everyone was done the Italians all bowed to Sting on their way out because he had a classical music background I guess and it was just yeah I mean one of the Metcalf moments I guess there's so many Metcalf moments (laughs) talking about grief through the experiences of our guests here on Radioactive Bailey Kreitzer daughter of Jeff Metcalf and Amy Schaefer, who I'm going to say was a protege <laughs> of Jeff Metcalf, <laughs> and you uh, completed your first poetry book and was recognized as the best chat book of the year by Salt Lake Community College just earlier this year. It's called From the Dust of Stars. Will you give us another poem from that? Yeah. So it's kind of fun because Jeff helped me write this one too, um, unbeknownst to him until the next day. And he was so excited about it. And like, he was like proud papa and made me read it at dinner. Mm -hmm. And um, my grandma had just passed and uh, she was something else. She used to have fiery red hair. She was a flirt. Even like right before she passed, she was just, she she was just something. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was telling Jeff, I can't write and I want to write, but there's, I'm, mad about something that happened right before my grandma passed and he just let me talk and let me cry and then I was able to write and so just because he sat there and listened to it so I wrote this for my sassy Graham this is called for Bonnie Lou dear Graham I hope that when you left this planet you were lifted to the heavens by an angel with strong arms dark hair and smoldering eyes I hope you held onto his bicep the whole way up. Your final wish, so simple, so sweet, a sassy new do. I hope now it isn't a hue of your choosing, your original brunette or your signature fiery red. I hope you get served anything but black coffee, have hours of uninterrupted jazz games, share space with your son, healthy and free of circumstance. Get to hold your great grand in your arms, I'm not certain you ever got that chance. Remind him he is loved. Tell Gramps to dance with you. Get swept off your feet. And I'm sure he's ready to say, I love you, Bonnie Lou. 
because it's what you deserve. And I hope this time everything is on your terms, that you get a place in the sky, becoming a celestial beacon to continue shining on us all. Lovely. Poet Amy Schaefer reading from her <laughs> award-winning chapbook, From the Dust of Stars, and I'll put a, a link in the show notes to a Globe story, the Salt Lake Community College student paper about it. But is this available anywhere? Um, there is like the the online PDF that I could give you. make you. sure to send me a link. Yes, I'll send you the link. Okay. <laughs> but in our, in our closing moments here, some advice for folks listening who may be experiencing grief of one kind or another there's there's no linear process to going through grief and sometimes you know my mom's been 11 12 years since she passed and every now and then it'll be this moment and I'm right back there Mm -hmm. I'm sure both of you can relate to that but there are support groups out there I'll put a bunch of resources in our show notes don't forget the 988 line is available to folks 24 hours a day if you need help 988 you can call or text that line but what is what is your advice Bailey think to I don't want to say to sit in it you know but just to accept the beauty of loss and I know that sounds almost counterintuitive but we have these beautiful things in our lives that are beautiful you can't have one without the other I guess is what I'm trying to say And that when you really sit and think about it, there are a lot of beautiful things that can come out of these relationships. And even when they're gone, Amy and I were just speaking about how so many opportunities arise if you allow it. But if you sort of pretend that all this dark stuff or these feelings that hurt aren't happening, you really can't ever process it and let go and find those beautiful moments. Um... I don't know if that answered your question, but that's sort of what it made me think and I'm of. Really, I'm really appreciative that you're willing to come in and share your dad's story and yours in experiencing that loss. Mm. Yeah. Amy, what would you like folks to know? I mean, I think one is that it's universal and we might no, not know exactly your situation, but um, people um, should reshape and kind of redefine how we think about grief. Mm-hmm. And to kind of to go to Bailey's point is once you decide to accept that, then you can start sharing the happy, funny, beautiful moments again. You know, the sting moments, you know, all of those things. So I think if you hide from it, you're going to miss out on the beauty of what's supposed to be. Amy Schaefer, thank you for coming in, sharing your poetry and your stories of Jeff Metcalf. And I hope you both have a wonderful holiday season. You too, Laura. Full of warmth and love and family stories. Likewise. We're going to wrap tonight's show with one of my favorites of the Bach cello suites. It's the the one that ends happy. (laughs) Cello suite number one in G major, the prelude. Thank you so much, everyone, for plugging into your community and for supporting KRCL. I hope you have a wonderful holiday.
KRCL, Salt Lake City.